Hello, you guys. Welcome to PNC. This is hard. I hope that 2021 has started out well for all of you. Um, today, I'm excited to talk about adoptions. Uh, this is a topic that is close and dear to my heart. One, because I have adopted, and two, I've worked in that arena for about 15 years. So we're excited to dive into the different kinds of adoptions and the processes around it. Um, but first, I would like to say hello to Danan Moore and Gretchen Levy. Hi, guys. Hello. Well, welcome back, you guys. Uh, today, we also have an exciting guest. Her name is Emily. Emily is a dear friend of mine, and she also was one of the lawyers that I worked with during the adoption, adoption of My Little Memphis. So welcome, Emily, to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. You are welcome. So um, just a little disclaimer, Emily is a lawyer. Uh, when she helped me, she was in family law, but has since transitioned to a different um, aspect of, of law. Um, this is also not legal advice. So uh, we wanna be really clear about, um, don't take this to the courts and say, well, Emily said, and she's a lawyer. <laughs> Emily on a podcast told me. That's right, that's right. But hopefully she'll give us enough guidance and uh, enough information and enlightenment to either inspire you to move forward with adoption or at least have a, a pretty um, lengthy conversation with people in your life about um, whether you wanna move forward with something like this or not in the future. So Emily, um, if you don't mind, uh, with all of our guests, we like to talk about how many pregnancies you've had, how many babies you have, and then we'll dive into the adoption topic. Sure. Uh, so I have two sons. I have a 10 and a half year old son and a five year old son. And I've had um, six pregnancies and five losses. And my sister um, actually carried and gave birth to my younger child. That's how the math works out. Yes. So we're going to have Emily on a different show if she will come back. I'm going to not put you on the spot, but plant the seed and cultivate it later. Um, talking about the world of surrogacy. Um, and Emily has a lot of important things to say about that. But that will be for a different show if she so chooses to come back for that topic. Um, but today, let's talk about adoption. Yay, adoption. <laughs> um, I have very mixed emotions when I talk about adoption. Um, one, because I think it's a beautiful thing, but I also think it is just so terribly complicated. Um, it's complicated because when I was asked the question if I wanted to in Memphis, um, I was told that Colorado um, is an agency state for adoption. And so, Emily, when you hear that Colorado is an agency state for adoption, uh, what what comes to mind? Sure. Well, what that means is that uh, basically what it means is that if, if a woman has a baby and she wants to place that child for ad adoption and she wants to give it to a specific couple that she knows or person that she knows uh, or the she can't just do that. She can't just do that in the court system easily. She must go through the agency. 
Um, there are adoption agencies in the state. There are a number of them, most of them based here in, in Denver with you know satellite offices around the state. But it, it, it just means that they control the adoptions. They control the private adoptions. In some other states, you can have a private adoption where you just, where a birth mother would have a child and choose their, her adoptive parent or parents. And uh, this is obviously notwithstanding the birth father role in this, which is key, but just for the purposes of explaining an agency adoption, the agency has to, there has to be involved. And really what that practically means is it becomes very expensive because you have to pay fees to the agency um, to facil facilitate the adoption. The thinking behind it and the reason it became an agency state uh, and the agency state exists is really to, was to attempt to not sell babies for profit, right? To, to have some oversight agencies. Um, these are nonprofits for the most part that, um, that go, are tasked with going through all the home studies and going through all the reviews of everything and checking all the paperwork and making sure everyone is in compliance and going through the social work process and so forth. Um, so that babies are not just, this doesn't become a black market kind of state. Um, yeah. So that's the theory behind it. There are pros and cons, but that's why, it, that's the, the idea behind an agency state. Yeah. So Emily, can I ask a quick question? If, sure. In other states, if similar situation, like you described, a woman has a baby and she has decided that she wants that baby to go um, into adoption. Is there states where there's not a legal process required? No, there's always going to be a legal process required, but it's a difference of whether or not you have to go through it as, as this entire third-party agency. I mean, if if a birth mother knows exactly who she wants to go through, you still go, go, to have parent or child. She just still has to go through this agency to have all the boxes checked. The states that I've worked with have all been agency states because um, the agencies work with agency states pretty much. That's that's the in my experience, right? We worked with Texas, which has agencies in Florida and California and, and so forth. But um, there are probably other states that don't have agencies or you don't have to go through an agency, but you'll still, of course, have to go through legal processes and paperwork and court stamps and so forth and have birth parent right terminated. It's, um, but just not through this whole agency that uh, base, uh, both makes a, a much longer process um, and a much more expensive process. Okay. Yeah. So some of you guys may say, we keep bringing up money. We keep <laughs> bringing up money. So let me just put you in the ballpark of how much money I have uh, been told it will cost. Um, even when we were doing this with Little Memphis, I think the least amount of money that I heard to go down the agency was 18,000. That was the minimal amount that I had heard, up to probably 30, $40,000. So it is costly. It is a costly experience and it's an emotional experience. I mean, when I talk about uh, adoption, even for me now that it's kind of behind me, I have so many mixed emotions around it. I mean, the first one is obviously gratitude and joy and love, but there's it's pretty complicated. There was a lot of risk. There was a lot of times that I felt like this isn't gonna happen. And I didn't wanna fall in love with Memphis because I was like, oh my God, at, at any moment, something could shift and change and I'm gonna have to say goodbye to this little kiddo. Um, 
and or it's not going to work out. So I'm sure that Emily has has seen that too, or we've all seen that where, you know, it's like you go through these processes, you take these classes, uh, you know, birth parents say, yeah, we're going to do this. And then it comes down to D-Day and everything changes. So there, there's a lot of risk. And I would imagine had I gone through an agency that I would have had a team of like caseworkers and other people that probably would have like held my hand and been supportive around that. But Randall and I did not go down the agency route because we we couldn't afford it, period. Uh, we didn't have that kind of <laughs> cash just lying around. Uh, I think so. I, sorry to cut you off, Misty, but oh, yeah. I, I think that the key difference is that you had uh, you were blessed with having a child already in your care and and yeah, and, so, yeah. and, and, and had been matched essentially. And I assume you're open about the, the background, but you know, you, you had a child in your care that you were trying to adopt that specific child. So you had a workaround around the agency yep. system. Yep. But for a person who just wants to adopt a child and doesn't have um, a birth parent saying, here, adopt my specific child, then the, you need to go through the agency um, and they match you. Yeah. And they match you and they find birth parents who are um, interested in obviously wanting to be birth parents and and place their child for adoption, and then that you the, go, the matching process. I'm sure we've all we've all heard about and so forth, and um, literally looking at books and you know birth parent picking the birth the adoptive parents and so forth. Um, so it, the agency serves a huge role in doing that other yep. actual matching that um, the people can't do otherwise. I mean, otherwise it would go back to that that black market. Where do you hear about a baby? And mm -hmm. you know, and and the the system has to be monitored and run. Yep. Um, effectively so 100 percent, and i am very pro adoption agencies i think they do an amazing job um it seems like um and yes my my story is very unique for sure so we had an extended family member who became pregnant and they were not in a healthy place birth father was not in the picture um and so we went down what's called the um custodial route, which uh, we can we can talk about a little bit more. But uh, the custodial route is where we had to get guardianship of Memphis. So it was like as soon as he was born, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while and it was a big blur. But I think the, the birth mom had to sign an affidavit saying that she was giving Randall and I decision-making rights from the moment Memphis was born. And then once we got that, then the lawyers that we were working with at the time did guardianship paperwork and we got the guardianship paperwork into process very quickly. And we did that so we could have Memphis in our home for a year. And then this is where Emily steps in and Emily helped then solidify the full adoption of Memphis while he was in our home. So we did not have to do the home study because we had already had him at birth. Um, we didn't have to do some of these things that other families may or may not have had to do. But we had to also get authorization for the, from the judge to um, skip that process of the home study. Yeah, that's, that sums it up fairly well. I mean, you, you, you had anyone can get guardianship of not anyone, but you can get guardianship of somebody who needs a guardian. That's the, the physical care of the person and conservatorship of their their finances and the medical bills and this sort of thing. And so you can go in and you can get that guardianship and you, that's what you did. You and, and Randall got guardianship of Memphis and then 
um, after you establish that guardianship for a year, then you are eligible to apply under Colorado law uh, for adoption to convert the guardianship to an adoption. And so like you, you were saying, the birth mother had to, you can either consent to the guardianship or you could take that person to court and say they're not fit and try to get an emergency guardianship. Um, and then later on, your, your birth mother consented to the adoption, which is huge. You have to notify if you can find the birth father, notify the birth father, and he would either have to consent or his rights would otherwise be terminated and so forth. But so you were able to take advantage of um, a bit of a streamlined process in terms of not going through an agency, but it, it still took you a year because you had yeah. to have him in your home for a year before you could yeah. convert to the guard to the adoption. Yeah. So, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the pros and cons of going through the adoption agency versus the way that we did it. Um, that's, I think, where the apprehension and stress came in with Memphis was we knew that there was a lot of risk where birth mom at any point during that year of guardianship could have said, I want him back. I want him back. Um, and so with going through an agency, um, that process is a little bit different. Um, so Emily, do you mind going in with that? Because if you go through an agency, you don't have to wait a year in order okay. for that adoption to move forward. Okay, so let's actually start with your concern for the guardianship. I, I would just, I don't want to put it out there. Once a court gives guardianship of a person to somebody else, uh, the birth mother wouldn't have been able to that easily say, I don't want to not yeah. have the guardianship. I don't want her to not have the guardianship. It, the court would have to oversee it. The courts play a huge role, right? You, you, you would have some rights to sit there and say, no, birth mom still isn't fit. And here's all the reasons why baby is better with us and baby needs this guardianship. So it's even in that year, it wasn't as um, yeah. black and white as birth mom says. I I, baby. Yeah. I'm glad that you're clarifying that because in my mind, in my paranoid mind, right, like that was the sphere that was looming up, up over me, whether it was a correct assumption or not. That's how I felt that whole time. And oh, it so I'm really been a, glad that you're a huge, huge issue, a huge red flag. I'm sorry for cutting off. It could have been a huge nightmare, but you would have at least had a voice in court before yeah. birth yeah, mom got baby back. Wouldn't birth yeah. mom then had to prove her ability to care and provide and be a fit parent, like. Essentially, yeah. yeah. I mean, the courts already said that somebody else needs to be guardian because either birth mom consented or it was, cho it, it was decided that birth mom couldn't handle it. And so this is the same as any, if, if your sister's just, you know, having a single mom and has a lot of problems and gets gets on, is on drugs and you take over the ki her kids for guardianship, she can't just one day come back and say, I I'm, I'm clean today. I want the kids back, right? It's a process. You have to go, she'd have to go to the court and, and, and there would be hearings and so forth to determine that fitness. Um, but it would be a huge headache and it's a valid fear, Missy. Don't misunderstand. It's a valid fear. And a year of that uncertainty as to what if she does change her mind and prove to the court that she's, um, fit to be a parent and, and all of that. Totally valid fear. Um, just, it would be court appearances yep. and proving to the judge. Okay. So if you go through an agency, it's just, um, it's just a very, very different process <clears throat> in that the birth mother typically 
we'll go with with infants. So, you know, newborns, because that's a different process for babies under one year versus babies over over one years old uh, here in Colorado. And so if a birth mother gives birth to a baby, then she files paperwork with the court and she says, I want to relinquish my child. And separately, there's a separate chain making sure, figuring out where birth father is at. And then that is, it, it can get, we can get into a lot of details here, but just suffice it to say, both birth mother and birth father have to be uh, willing to relinquish the child or the birth father, would, they would have the rights terminated is the, the language. Um, but after that birth mother puts in her paperwork with the court that says she wants to relinquish the child, then typically the court um, goes through what we call an expedited process and they push the case through fairly quickly for the exact concern that, uh, not, not the concern that you change your mind, but because this is such an emotional time and they, do, they don't want this to drag on forever. So they actually push it through quite quickly in comparison to many other court cases. Um, but that birth mother, the agency has been counseling that birth mother for as long as they've been with the agency. So it could be, you know, it, it, overnight if they call at the hospital, but more typically it's months and months that they, the birth mother has been working with the agency to find adoptive parents and so forth. So they've been through all kinds of counseling and so forth before they, the court case can proceed. But once that counseling is, is done, once that paperwork is in, then there's a period of time that the court waits and um, pretty much within a couple of weeks, the court could even uh, finalize that paper and grant the relinquishment. So that birth mother would have relinquished the child. Um, but often there are kind of hiccups. Often it's maybe it's the, um, the birth father hasn't been found and terminated yet. And so we, you would stall out the birth mother relinquishing her rights uh, until we figure out what's going on with the birth father. So that could push it out a few weeks. But the gist is, is that the birth mother's rights are terminated and then the baby uh, are relinquished by voluntary relinquishment. And then the baby is under that guardianship of actually the agency, but the baby is living with the adoptive parents. They've placed that baby with the adoptive parents, but the agency has the legal control and custody of the baby. Then the birth parents, uh, excuse me, the adoptive parents, um, can adopt six months later. So they, they do have to wait six months, um, but the birth mother's rights are already terminated at that point. Uh, but they have a series of home studies that they have to go through, post-placement, well, the home study is actually before the adoption. What we call them afterwards are post-placement studies. And so you have to have three post-placement studies where a social worker is coming in and checking to make sure that the baby is in the safe environment and everyone's doing well and so forth. And then after six months is when you can uh, go back to court for that adoption proceeding where the custody of the baby is then turned over to the adoptive parent. The adoptive parents become legal parents in every sense of the word. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. So it's an exciting, an exciting time. Uh, but there's a lot of things going on in the background that maybe people were unaware of. Um, with that. So that's awesome. Gretchen and Danan, do you guys have any questions or anything that have popped up that make you guys curious? 
I don't know if I have questions. I just think it's such a courageous undertaking, you know, to, it's so vulnerable and there is risk. And imagine that that is just terrifying <laughs> and you're falling in love with a kid and not knowing, you know, until it's done and done and done, <laughs> like it would be hard to feel confident that I, I can relate to, to how anxious that made you. I yeah. think that what, mm -hmm. from watching it, what was the, uh, so I worked on both the birth mother side, helping with the relinquishment, and I worked on the um, adoptive parent side, helping with the finalization. And I think what the cases that always got to me were the ones where, um, where the birth mother changed their mind. And mm -hmm. so I either, when I, when I was working with the birth mother, um, or I had worked with adoptive parents who had had that happen to them. And so this was now their second or third time of, you know, trying to finalize it to go. And, and it was, you know, it, it just heightened the joy when the adoption finally happened. But just mm -hmm. some of that, that heartache, it, it, you are so vulnerable. One of you said that. Um, but I mean, working with the birth moms who were going through this incredibly difficult, courageous decision um, looking out for the best interest of their child uh, was also challenging. But seeing those adoption proceedings, Misty, I mean, the day oh, that you yeah. you get that child and the court says they're he's yours, those those yeah. are like judges' favorite days or all of our favorite days. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful feeling. Yeah, and, and, yes, it is a wonderful feeling. It's very exciting. Um, like even just sitting there, I think it was really sweet, and and hopefully a lot of families who go through this process. And um, Gretchen, you may have been a part of it, but even working at the residential treatment facility, there was like adoption days and watching yeah. families adopt these kiddos out of residential. Um, it's heartwarming. I mean, the judge really uh, interviews the, the other siblings in the home. Um, I know that the judge interviewed uh, Zoe and Adler during the adoption and said, it, you know, are you ready to have this little baby boy? And they were so excited and they got teddy bears and it was a very, very sweet process. Um, we were very thankful, but yeah, the buildup to that day was just like, okay, hold our breath, hold our breath. And then when it was over, we were able to exhale and just kind of live our life with normalcy, quote unquote. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think, you know, hopefully ours is uh, the, the majority of cases that birth mom was in agreement um, she, she never went back and forth, at least not with us. I mean, she could have in her, her own mind, but with us, uh, uh, it was very cut and dry seemingly from, from her end. The moment she found out she was pregnant, she called and said, here's what we want. And Randall and I were luckily in a place that we had been talking about adopting anyway. So it was just like the stars aligned, um, and, and worked out really well. Um, so I kind of want to just circle back. So, you know, we talked about just agency adoptions, custodial adoptions. Um, do you want to jump in really quick and talk about kinship and then step parent? Because in my eyes, I feel like they're pretty closely related, but I'm sure you know the difference, Emily, the difference between a kinship and then a parent, step parent adoption. Sure. Well, kinship, I, mean, I think that we usually, most often see that term really coming out of the foster system um, when the child, it, that just means the child has been placed with kin and, and there's no guardianship period. So they're placed with family members um, 
and they're adopted from that, that position. Um, so that's often in the, in the foster system, I would say. Step-parent adoption is just another one we did a lot as family law attorneys. And that would be when, um, exactly what it sounds like, when one step-parent adopts the, their stepchildren. And you, um, so most typically it's uh, going to be the father, stepfather adopting his children. And you terminate the biological parent's father's rights because you can't have more than one legal father unless you're a married gay couple, right? But uh, you can't have two legal fathers in the, the mother. So you have to terminate the uh, biological parent's rights. Sometimes he chooses, he agrees. Sometimes he doesn't agree. Um, and you might have, that could lead to a hearing in court. Um, it's fairly rare, but it, it certainly happens. And um, same with grandparent adoption. Um, there's is also out there where grandparents have been taking care of a child and um, then you're terminating both biological parents' rights and grandparents are taking, uh, becoming the legal parents of the child. That happens some as well. Um, and so those are just other, other ways of adoption that you see in the court system here in Colorado. And you can go on you know, the Colorado court system and get see paperwork and understand how to do it. And my advice though would be for any of this to, to talk to an attorney. And again, I'm not even plugging myself. I don't do that area of law, but it gets very, very complicated and it's, there's an enormous amount of paperwork. Um, and so you don't want to mess it up and you, you want to make sure you terminate the other the parents' rights at the right time. And you have to get fingerprint checks and different kinds of fingerprint checks and background checks and all these checklists that just have to be done in order for the court to ultimately grant the adoption. And uh, so you have to be really careful. So I would say if any of those situations apply to you, uh, talk to an attorney. Yeah, definitely. But it's so funny because it's crazy how much I have like set aside and repressed, <laughs> repressed from that. Because as you're saying that, I was like, oh my God, yeah, Randall and I did have to do, <laughs> do a lot of that. We were trying to figure out how to, like, if we could do it on our own because, you know, Randall's like, let's do it by ourselves all the time. And uh, we were going to try to figure out how to pay for an agency. And then one of my girlfriends who um, was in a same-sex marriage, they wanted to adopt. And she, um, one of her, her family members was in the foster system. And so they adopted through that way. And she called me one day and was like, why are you going through like a personal family law lawyer like I did? And so you still have to, you still have to do these checklists. It's not like we got to bypass that. We, we had to do all of that. We, we did have to pay money uh, for lawyers. We did have to pay for like the processing fees. Um, you know, we, we, we had to do the same, probably the same checklist that we would have had to do through an agency, but there's a couple things that we did not have to do because Memphis was in our care. You know, like the home study, we got that one um, kind of bypassed, but we, we would have been willing to do the home study part. Um, you know, when you go down, and I don't know, Emily, if this is the same, but if you do the foster adoption route through the Department of Human Services, there are classes that you have to take. There, you know, they wanna make sure that you understand trauma and children and parenting and so there there are classes but I don't do you have to do that through a private agency do you know do they require those classes so if you adopt if you're your adopted parent you go through agency adoption then um yeah there are some you know parent I forget what it's called but there are some classes it's definitely not 
this same, um, I think, I mean, they're just probably called adoptive parent classes. I don't remember. Um, but not the same trauma focused or anything like that that comes out of the foster care system. Um, I mean, typically with uh, agencies, you're, you're often going to have a newborn. Um, I mean, that's what most people go to an agency to try to adopt, right? They, they go to try to get a, a newborn from an agency. The, the older child adoptions out of agencies are very, very um, rare. And because people they're in the foster care system, well, people don't typically relinquish uh, and place older children into for up for adoption, right? I mean, they're, yeah. if they're if they're if they when people lose custody of children or you know removed from their homes, it's generally um, not voluntary, right? And so they go into the foster care. But they these are there's not parents who are typically relinquishing older children. I think I saw it. Um, twice in my three years of work and um one the parent the parents changed their mind and the other time it was a grandmother who had ended up with custody of a grandchild and she said i'm this isn't this was never this child would be better off with um with younger people basically and they they had they ended up with an open adoption where the child still sees the grandmother but she gave the um child to um, to a lovely, lovely couple who, childless couple. Um, um, but it's just not rare. It's just very rare. Sorry. No, it's okay. No, you just uh, said a key phrase that I want you to expand on. Open adoption versus a closed adoption. Can you, sure. can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for people to understand is that in Colorado and in many states, uh, open adoption is, is a... a is, there's nothing legal. There's legally binding an open adoption. So it's just a voluntary agreement between the uh, the birth mother and the adoptive parent or parents, whereby that, that they can stay in as little or as much contact as they say they're going to and they, they want to keep in, in touch with, right? Christmas cards or monthly visits or update once a year, whatever it is. But the key is, is that there's uh, it's not legally enforceable. And so everyone needs to understand that going in um, and things change, right? Um, but it's, it's people certainly um, make those, have those conversations and make some of those agreements that um, you just yeah. can't enforce them in law. Yeah. Again, which makes it a little bit tricky. Uh, Randall and I, I guess we would fall into the terms of we have an open adoption uh, with uh, Memphis's bio mom. Uh, he does have contact. He knows who she is. He doesn't know that she is his birth mom. So that is not a conversation that we have had with him. I asked him just the other day. It was literally like a week ago. Um, I have I have pictures of uh, me pregnant with Zoe and, and Adler. And Memphis is definitely at that age where he's like, Mom, do you remember when I was in your tummy? And I uh, have been telling him I'm not your tummy mommy. You have a different tummy mommy. Um, but I'm your forever mommy. And so the other day he um, was talking about being being in my belly. And I, again, reminded him, I am not your tummy mommy. You have a different tummy mommy. And he goes, yeah, you remember when my tummy mommy had me and then I, I came to you and you were my forever mommy. And I said, of course, I remember that. And I said, do you want to know who your tummy mommy is? And Memphis is very smart. He realizes we all say that about our children, but he's three and a half going on 15. Um, and he just looked at me and he said, no, 
like no <laughs> i don't like it's just kind of good enough for him to know i um, mean i'll continue to ask him i'll continue to to put that out in front and you know when we are with his with his uh birth mom uh she she keeps her her space with us i mean she calls him nugget and she's very sweet with him um but she doesn't seemingly have any desire to want to like play with him be in the same room with him she's not rude she just i mean she doesn't want to be in the same room with anybody <laughs> so but uh definitely one day when i think we tell him he'll be like oh oh okay he may have more thoughts and feelings and we'll go through that but um that's probably in the scheme of open adoption that's kind of what our life looks like she doesn't have any rights to him she doesn't ask for him uh we probably would not ever say yeah go spend the afternoon together um unless we all had sat down and talked about what that would look like so um so i'm noticing the time and i just want to be very respectful of it there there is the last kind of adoption is the the foster to adopt adoptions and Again, this is the one that I think Gretchen and I are probably the most familiar with just working in the residential treatment facility together. Um, and you have to go through the Department of Human Services in order to become foster adopt. And uh, there are classes that do you do have to take. Um, Emily talked about this before we started recording, um, that it's per county. Um, every county has the, at least in the state of Colorado, because Colorado has like 64 counties, I believe, maybe, I don't know, on average around 64 counties, which means that each of those counties have their own Department of Human Services, which then have their own foster adoption protocol and procedures. Is that, does that sound correct, Emily? Correct me if I'm wrong. I think I think so. I think some of the counties might be combined. I think like Jefferson and Adams may may work together or something to that effect. But um, I mean, you definitely start with your county to go research the foster program, and then you go through. There's a information night, and that's my husband and I did that. Or information day. It was multi multiple hours to learn about it, and then if you wanted to proceed, then you went to a few intensive weekends. I believe is what um, the next step was. Yeah. And they, they stressed, and I think that everyone should understand that when you when you go to foster, the chances of getting a, an infant are, are small. And yep. who needs who needs care is our older children. Yep. And when we say older children, I mean, it could be 17, 18, 19 older children. I mean, they're looking for homes and a family as well. Um, they're... For, for me, I, I just think it's really important when we're talking about foster, adopt through DHS. Um, there are kiddos who are in the system whose parental rights have already been terminated. And then there are families that there is the process of uh, foster, I mean, of the biological parents being, parental rights being terminated. But but the key of the foster system for my my work and my very limited work and in, in in neglect cases is to reunite the parents with the child and so that's key I mean, when you're a foster you're you're there to foster not to adopt and that's going to remain the key is to help the biological parents be able to parent better and return the child to the biological parent with hopefully more support yeah 100 i'm so thankful that you said that yes so if you are a family that is looking for a foster to adopt kiddo, um, 
my recommendation is to, if that is the route that you're going to foster and kind of see how they do in the home and then eventually move to adoption, that you know that the parental rights have been terminated. Now, if they haven't been, this is what's, from my understanding, called legal risk. Like, you know that there is a legal risk component that you could have these kids. It looks like parent, birth parents are not going down the route that they should be going to, and the courts may likely terminate those parental rights. But I think if you know that kind of going in, you can safeguard your heart a little bit more um, if, if the uh, relinquishment is successful and it doesn't go the way that you kind of hope it to go. Um, but I think it's, you know, I hope that there are more foster parents out there knowing that it's about reunification, that you're providing a really supportive, loving, caring home, during that transition and helping biological parents kind of get their lives back together um, in a way that you can be supportive with the kids and the family and getting them integrated back into that family life. Uh, but there's a lot of emotions in that, that process as well. Absolutely. This yeah. is on the topic, but kind of off. Um, coincidentally, we just watched a movie called um, Instant Family with Mark Wahlberg and yeah. I, I'm, I've never fostered and I've never adopted. So it's probably not fair of me to say, I think that it's a really kind of um, good depiction of what some of those emotional highs and emotional lows are for what families go through when they are potentially, um, you know, experiencing the foster care adoption process. But for fun, our listeners can watch that if there's any interest, but I, I too have a uh, treatment counseling experience and there are such highs and lows watching these kiddos go back and forth from foster care to mom and dad's house or, you know, biological family's house, whatever it is. And so, I don't know, that movie had, um, really made me feel a little anxious and very happy at times. <laughs> but like I, I agree. It was a good one. It was uh, my husband when I, my older son and I all watched it. We were all tearing up. It was, yeah. uh, it, it tears at you and it does depict uh, some of the, um, some of the good and the bad. I mean, it, it wasn't a smooth, it wasn't all happy times for sure in the movie. No. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I keep just referencing kind of my experience in the RTC um, is, you know, there there are these kind of fairy tale scenarios where it is smooth sailing. Um, you know, it happens, it does, and that's what we all hope for. But when you're when you are foster adopting through the Department of Human Services, these kiddos have had horrific, horrific experiences. Um, and we as uh, um, more and more research is coming out that the more trauma at the earlier age, the more impactful it is on child's brain. So if you are going to go down the DHS route and do foster adopt, please do your due diligence and really inform yourself about how early childhood trauma can negatively impact kids' brains and what we can do as parents and guardians and supporters of families who are adopting, of helping uh, regulate these kiddos and uh, moving forward in that aspect. But no matter what, if you are deciding to bring a child into your home that's not a biological uh, child, it's such an amazing process and it takes courage. And, it, and like everything else, it takes a village. It really, truly does. 
I could not have moved forward with this adoption without the support of my friends, without the support of my family, with 100% without the support of Emily. She was God sent to us during that time. And I am will be internally grateful to Emily uh, for helping me through this. Uh, she witnessed me crying often and was nothing but encouraging and like, we're going to we're going to do this. Uh, when I got into my emotional brain, she would sit me down and say, nope, here's the legal route. <laughs> Let's get you back on the right track. And uh, uh, so I a, a thousand thank yous to Emily in this process. And if you are going to go down this route, find an agency that's a good fit for you. Find a lawyer that's a good fit for you, um, because we just we can do it on our own, but it's just so much harder. It's so much harder. But um, yeah, you know, look look into adoption agencies. I know here in uh, Colorado, there are different websites that you can probably go to. Um, I know the Heart Gallery is a place that you can go to if you're looking to foster adopt. Um, there, Emily, do you know kind of off the top of your your head how many adoption ages agencies we have in Colorado? Like ballpark? Uh, I don't think it's, it's well, I don't know, a half dozen. There's there's okay. not that many ones that I would, um, uh, I mean, I would go with Adoption Choices of Colorado because that's who I worked with, and I think that they run a really tight ship there. Um, but there are some other ones. Do your due diligence. Google it. Research it. There have been some agencies that have had some problems over the years, just like any other field, any other industry, right? Um, and interview people, right? You can go and you can talk to the, if you're a birth mother, you would go and you talk to the birth mother counselor. But I think we're really, our audience is probably more adoptive parents. But you go and you talk to that agency and you say, not just the cost that we talked about at the beginning, because that's only a piece of it. Ask them, you know, interview them as to what um, what their process is, what their timeframes are, what, what, their, what their personalities are. Make sure they have that emotional support that you uh, are going to want and need along the way. And don't, um, so to Google it, Google the ones in your area. Um, and uh, also they can work with agencies outside of the state of Colorado, right? So that you may have the baby is, may come from a different state. And so different agencies have different uh, agreements, associations with agencies and, and um, placement people outside of the state of Colorado, which increases your chances of actually um, getting placed and how quickly you may get placed with a baby. So I would just say, if you're looking into agency adoption, go interview the agencies. Um, and I'm sure they're doing that by Zoom these days and they're doing that over the phone. If you don't want to go in person, but um, but go start having those conversations and, and figure out who is the right feeling for you, what agency has the right feeling for you. Yeah. Well, hopefully we have covered enough surface area for people who are curious about adoption or uh, getting ready to move down that route, um, that we've provided at least a little snapshot of the different kinds of adoptions and, and what to kind of the hurdles and joys and pitfalls and all of that. So um, if you guys have any questions or concerns, like always, uh, you can email us, uh, make comments on our Facebook page or Instagram page. But Emily, thank you so, so much for uh, being a part of our show today. Um, like I said, I'm going to pressure you into coming back um, because I think you have a lot of knowledge just even personally with your own experiences that uh, would really help our listeners. So thank you. Um, Gretchen and, and Danan, do you guys have anything else to add? 
I just really enjoyed the the topic and getting to learn a bit more about it. And um, so, yes, thank you, Emily. I enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you all for having me. Um, I have to say that my, the, the, can I say the name of the law firm that I work for? If anybody has wants to ask a family law attorney these kinds of questions. Absolutely. Sure. Uh, um, Rutherford Law Center, R-U-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D Law Center. It's in Arvada. Um, and, you know, they have some great attorneys there. I'm just, I just love to go to a different field, but that's who I worked for and worked with. And they, uh, it's a bunch of ladies and they are fabulous. Uh, and can hold your hand through this, these processes. So if you have any questions you need to talk to a lawyer, I would point you there. And Adoption Choices of Colorado is the agency I work with. And I also had um, great experiences there. So yeah, two starting great. places for you. Thank yeah. You. Oh, that's, yeah, that's so awesome. Well, thank you very much. And happy parenting. This is hard. You are not alone. And I hope you all have a wonderful day. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to This Is Hard, our podcast celebrating the hilarious, beautiful, horrific, mysterious, untold, unspoken, disgusting, and amazing adventures of becoming and being a parent. Brought to you by Misty White, Gretchen Levy, and me, Danan Moore. To learn more about This Is Hard, our podcast, follow our organization, Parenting Naked Collaborative, on the web at parentingnaked.com on Facebook or Instagram at Parenting Naked. Thank you, and until next time, be well.